We don't give out loans. <laughs> um, I would like to thank Habitat Lake for organizing the annual Cyprus Maritime uh, Forum and for offering me the opportunity to talk about current economic issues. Um, it's slightly unfortunate that you will hear a speech with a lot of numbers straight after lunch. Shipping is much more interesting, I know, but bear with me. Uh, I will discuss inflation developments by contrasting the euro area with the US in order to give a clearer focus on the dynamics and differences of the economic trends and inflation. I will also talk about the Cyprus economy, focusing on the reasons that kept our economy strong and the factors that will help safeguard its future path. Let me start with contrasting economic and inflation developments in the US and the Euro area. I think this is the best way to understand the developments uh, globally, but also over here in Europe. Even though both economies were hit by rising inflation, the factors behind it have been different. In the United States, demand factors have been the main determinants of the upward inflation trend, while in the Euro area, price increases were initially mostly driven by the supply shock caused by the energy crisis. The post-COVID demand recovery in the US was faster and stronger than in the Euro area. As a result, the Federal Reserve moved earlier with actions to curb the accelerating inflationary pressures, and in particular, it started raising interest rates in March 2022. By contrast, the Euro area was more exposed to the energy crisis than the US, given its proximity and higher energy dependence to Russia, and especially Russian gas. As long as inflation is largely caused by supply-side factors, such as energy prices, interest rate hikes cannot address the problem. Hence, at the Governing Council of the ECB, we reacted when the inflation rate in the projected horizon breached its 2% target and saw signs of infiltration of inflation into demand-side factors of the economy. <coughs> Consequently, at the ECB we started raising interest rates in July 2022. However, we had started normalizing our monetary policy much earlier in 2022 by terminating the PEP and APP bond purchases. The second main difference relates to the labor market dynamics of the two economies. The US labor market exhibited at a relatively early stage a greater degree of tightness, evidenced by stronger wage growth in the US than in the Euro area. This higher degree of US labor market tightness was another key factor in explaining the medium-term inflationary pressures. By contrast, in the Euro area, the pickup in wages in wage growth is relatively more recent phenomenon. Characteristically, US labor costs increased by 5.8% last year and almost 12% in the two-year period 2020 to 2022. In the euro area, data until the third quarter of 2022 show that labor costs have increased by 2.8% last year with a cumulative growth of 7% over the same period of 2020 to 2022. As regards other economic developments specific to the Euro area, despite the recent favorable GDP outturns, 
Russia's war against Ukraine and its people continues to act as a headwind to Euro area growth. While supply chain bottlenecks are gradually easing and the supply of gas has become more secure, inflationary pressures remain elevated. Specifically, following a peak of headline inflation at 10.6% in October 2022, in February this year it still stands at 8.5%. At the same time, core inflation, this is the same measure of inflation excluding the prices of energy and food which are more volatile and hence is more indicative of the actual demand-driven inflation. Continues an upward trajectory moving from 5% in October to 5.6% in February this year. And this is the main answer to people that question why interest rates are rising given the supply side. It was supply side at the beginning, now it infiltrated the rest of the economy, and 5.6% core inflation indicates that. In addition, wage increases, uh, wages continue to grow fast, supported by robust labor markets in the euro area, with some catch-up to high inflation becoming the main theme in the current wage negotiations in all eurozone member states. In this setting of high headline and core inflation, monetary policymakers must ensure that inflation does not become entrenched. Therefore, from an expansionary monetary policy until the end of 21, the ECB has moved through the neutral range of interest rates and continued moving into the restrictive monetary policy interest rate range, which is currently at 2.5%. At the last ECB Governing Council meeting, which was at the beginning of February, we reiterated the need to stay the course in raising interest rates at a steady pace and keeping them in their at restrictive levels to ensure a timely return of inflation to our 2% medium-term target. Keeping interest rates at restrictive levels will over time reduce inflation and will guard against the risk of inflation expectations becoming the anchored, which if it happens, it would be a very costly outcome for the euro area economies and for business and households together. At the same time, fiscal support measures to shield the economy from the impact of high energy prices should be temporary, targeted, and tailored to the vulnerable in order to avoid boosting inflationary pressures. Any fiscal measures falling short of these principles will likely increase medium-term inflationary pressures, which would then necessitate a stronger monetary policy response through higher interest rates. The euro area latest available projections of December 22 show that the annual average real GDP growth is anticipated to slow down significantly from 3.5% last year to 0.5% this year, before rebounding to 1.9% next year, 2024, and 1.8% in 2025. Average annual inflation is expected to fall from an average of 8.4% last year to 6.3% this year. Headline inflation is then expected to fall to 3.4% in 2024 and 2.3% in 2025. 
the reduction in headline inflation over the projection period reflects strong energy-related downward base effects throughout the course of 2023. The gradual impact of ECB's monetary policy, which started early last year, the weaker economic growth outlook and the assumed decline in energy and food commodity prices as reflected in commodity futures prices. The underlying assumption in all this is that the long-term inflation expectations will continue to remain anchored. And there has been no evidence so far of any de-anchoring. Let me talk a bit about Cyprus now. As regards Cyprus, the economy showed notable resilience in 2022, recording significant growth of 5.6% despite the negative international environment. This is part due to the higher than expected activity in the tourism industry, the non-dependence of the Cypriot economy on Russian gas, as well as the reality that the Cypriot banking sector has very limited exposure to the Russian economy and therefore has not been affected by the sanctions on Russia. In particular, let me give you two data points to prove this. According to the latest available data, the Central Bank of Cyprus, deposits from Russian Federation citizens, or UBOs, amount to only 2.2% of total deposits of the Cyprus banking sector at the end of January 2023, while loans amount to only 0.2% of total loans of the banking sector. Economic growth in Cyprus was supported by new lending from the Cyprus banking sector and by foreign investment. For example, largely owing to the enactment of new incentives, including the facilitation of a fast-track process for incoming firms, a large number of high-value-adding foreign firms have been attracted to Cyprus. According to the latest central bank data forecast for December of December 22, the growth of the Cypriot economy is expected at 2.5% this year, which compares very well with the Eurozone average of 0.5. <coughs> Inflation is expected to decelerate in Cyprus as well, leveling at 3.3% from 8.1% last year. <coughs> Foreign investment in Cyprus, as I mentioned above, constitutes a significant driver for development and in recent years, major multinational firms in the information, communication, and technology industry have relocated or expanded their activities in Cyprus, supporting Cypriot GDP. Cyprus's importance as a foreign investment hub is also reflected in the Greenfield FDI Performance Index, created by FDI Intelligence according to which in 2021 Cyprus was ranked in 18th place out of 84 countries included in this index, climbing by 50 places compared to 2020. Undoubtedly, the shipping sector is another important pillar of Cyprus's economic success. Limassol, Cyprus's maritime capital, is the home of influential names in the shipping industry, which boosted the country to the top ranks of the sector. Indicatively, Cyprus is the largest third-party ship management center in the European Union, one of the largest in the world, and is primed for further growth. The importance of the sector is evident in the balance of payments data, where it ranks 
third, in terms of its contribution to the total value of exports of services at 19% in 2021 after financial services and the ICT sectors. Let me conclude by underlining the challenges for monetary policy uh, makers, which that includes the European Central Bank. The global inflation dynamics are currently being addressed by central banks, but the fight is far from over. Monetary policy is being utilized at a different pace in different regions in the world due to the differences in economic fundamentals. However, we should not forget that other policies also play a role. For instance, state support should avoid horizontal measures and instead use targeted fiscal measures which focus on the economy vulnerable in order to support social cohesion but avoid undermining monetary policy measures against inflation. Finally, regarding the shipping sector, it is and it will continue to be the backbone of the global economy. In fact, when talking about the importance of shipping, I cannot avoid the temptation of referring to the British writer Arthur C. Clarke, who said, and I quote, how inappropriate to quote this planet, Earth, when it is quite clearly ocean. Cyprus, that tiny spot on this planet, continues to strengthen its role in the shipping sector as a hub for ship management, ship owning, and vessel chartering services, it aims to maintain and enhance further the competitiveness and prospects of the sector. Thank you. Mr. Rosa, thank you very much for the presentation. Um, I just wanted to have a few minutes. Does anybody from the audience uh, maybe want to ask you a few questions since it's quite your work seems to be fairly, fairly focused on the, on the shipping industry in Cyprus. So perhaps one, somebody wants any comments or any questions? Anybody? Sure. Maybe if you can uh, elaborate on how you coordinate the European level uh, economic and fiscal policy. Sure. Uh, let me focus more on monetary policy, uh, whereby uh, decisions are taken at the governing council of the European Central Bank, that is the board of the European Central Bank. And the board is made up of the governor of each member state, so I'm one of those votes. And then it's the executive board of the ECB, which is uh, the President, Madame Lagarde, the Vice President, and four executive board members. We meet for monetary policy every six weeks. This is always the case. And every six weeks, we analyze not only the Eurozone data, but we look at other jurisdictions that affect the Eurozone area. So we tend to look at the US, China, Japan, and the UK. But from the point of view of how they affect the Eurozone dynamics, we look at that data every six weeks whereby we decide what to do from a monetary policy perspective. Four times a year, 
we have our own projections. And on that case, those meetings are much more informative in terms of the decisions uh, we make. The right uh, in the middle of COVID, it was in 2021 at the ECB, sorry, it's a long answer, but I think it's important to note that we did a strategic review of the monetary policy strategy. The main outcome, there was a number of outcomes, was to change our target from of inflation from at or below 2%, which was confusing, to at 2% symmetrically, which means we react with equal strength if inflation is above or below. And we started, as I explained in, the, in my speech, first tightening monetary policy or reducing monetary accommodation by stopping the bond purchases. We had the pandemic emergency purchasing program. We stopped that in March. We then stopped the ongoing normal bond purchasing program. It was a sequencing of measures, after which we started raising rates. And the last time we met was on the 1st and 2nd of February, where we raised again by 50 basis points. And in that policy statement, it, it, there was a clear message that we will continue the pace given where inflation is at the end of our current projections and given where core inflation, as I mentioned before, continues to be. So it's every six weeks. We look at all Eurozone data, but we take into account how the rest of the globe is impacting the economic dynamics over here. It's not an easy one because if we look at the range of inflation rates within the Eurozone, it's quite extreme. The average is 8.5. But if we look at the Baltic states, it's very close to 19, 20%. So we have those outliers on the one end, and then we have at least France, which has a big weight within the Eurozone below the average. And as Cyprus, we are very close to the average. So determining the policy, of course, is by taking into account everyone in the Eurozone, because each member state has one vote. Of course. Of course. I, I hope I'm not monopolizing uh, the interest of the audience, but uh, I think everybody here is quite concerned about high interest rates because they impact uh, the cost of capital, they impact uh, the uh, buying power of affecting uh, commodities and, and so on. Two things, do you see any divergence in the uh, policy regarding interest rates between the U.S. and uh, the European uh, Union? Uh, I think coming from the U.S., we have the expectation that uh, interest rate hikes may be coming to a softer rate right now, and that we may see them if they happen at a smaller pace. Is that going to be the same case in Europe? And the um, the only comparison I would mention with the U.S. is that we will look, and we always look at how developments in the U.S., not monetary policy decisions, economic developments in the U.S. affects the European economy. As I, um, as I mentioned in, in, in the speech, they reached full employment almost, and wages started rising, and that was the main driver initially of their inflation for us. 
It was supply side shocks, energy, and to a lesser extent supply chain bottlenecks. I think it would be helpful to keep looking at the core inflation in the Eurozone in order to try to gauge where or when our interest rate policy might peak. Because headline inflation is expected to drop down quicker than core inflation. These are the current projections. From a loan's perspective, I know that this increases the cost of capital, as you rightly said, and the cost of bank financing. However, the cost of inflation, all analysis, not just theory, the cost of inflation is much more detrimental than the cost of higher interest rates. So it's a necessary pain to bring inflation from an average of 9% down to the 2%, after which interest rates will come back to the neutral territory. We shouldn't expect interest, the central interest rate to go back to minus 50. That was abnormally accommodated to boost the economies during the tough times. That was accommodated. We have an accommodative range, neutral range, where you keep the economy at that neutral state, restrictive range where you try to bring down inflation. So interest rates will come down when the projection of inflation is seen to come down to 2%. Uh, banks have amazing liquidity. Cyprus banks are among the most liquid in the Eurozone. But the same goes for other banks in Europe. They have a lot of liquidity, they have capacity to lend. So there is no issue of having liquidity to lend. It's, as you said, the cost of lending that gets affected. But, as I mentioned, there is an 18-month time lag between monetary policy decisions and the impact in the real economy. So we make decisions based almost on a two to three year forward look on how the economy and inflation is heading. That's one quick question for me. Sure. Um, not, not that I'm too annoyed about being English, but uh, the English banking system used to be fairly well established prominently in Europe before Brexit. Uh, do you find there's any differences in approach or any issues which you may be facing now that uh, now we have Brexit and England is out off the map in terms of the European Union? Does that have any implications in terms of your Banking policy, how you run your, your banking here in Cyprus? Is it relevant? Thank you. It's relevant in terms of how we, we run or supervise the banking sector in Cyprus, not so much because the supervision of Cyprus banks, as well as all the other banks in the Eurozone, is under, since November 2014, is under common rules and regulation. In November 2014, the single supervisory mechanism was established in the Eurozone because of the Eurozone crisis that established common rules for supervising the banking sector. So it's, it is not related to the UK banking sector from, uh, from that perspective. Now, Bank of England supervision of the banks uh, in England is one of the top in the world. Um, but again, as regards supervision of European banks, all the 
significant institutions or the significant banks or the systemic banks of each Eurozone member are directly supervised from Frankfurt, and it's a minimum of three for each member state, and the rest are supervised by the each country's national central bank, but with the same rules, and there is common sharing of information within the Euro system. If I may thank uh, Mr. Lott for his presentation and his time, and uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Is that a time for the next speaker? <laughs> <laughs> He's a personal <laughs> <laughs> that's all.